Well, uh, please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's 959 in the Black Bibles that we provide for you there. Uh, Johnny read this chapter just a moment ago. That's because our sermon text is the first portion of this chapter, verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 through 11, page 959. I want everybody to have that open in front of you because uh, this morning we begin a new section in our study of Paul's letter to the ancient church in Corinth. Uh, the, the new section is chapter 12, 13, and 14. And we know that this is a new section because if you look there in chapter 12, verse 1, Paul starts with the same words that he has used to mark off several new sections in his letter. Chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning. If you, if you look back, and we don't have time to do that right now, but you'll see those words a number of times as he moves from topic to topic. And what Paul is doing is he's addressing concerns that they brought up in a letter or things that he had been told from uh, people who came to him from the church in Corinth. And now he, as the founding pastor of the church at Corinth, is writing back to them about a year and a half after he left them. So he comes to this new section. And as we read chapter 12 through 14, well, we, we begin to realize that Paul has included this section in his letter because there is yet another problem at the church in Corinth. Boy, this church has just had so many problems, has it not? One thing after another. And so chapter 12 through 14, as you see there in verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts. Paul is not talking about spiritual gifts just to sort of give them an instruction manual on the gifts of the Spirit. But we realize when we're reading this that just like the rest of the letter, Paul is dealing with a problem concerning the church's understanding and exercise of spiritual gifts. There is one main problem here in chapter 12 through 14, and that is that the church does not understand spiritual gifts and they do not exercise them properly. Now, for us to understand anything in chapter 12, 13, and 14, we have to understand the why behind what is said. We have to understand the problem so that we can understand everything that Paul is addressing. So let me just, as we begin this series, which will end up being a five-week series in 12, 13, and 14, five weeks in these three chapters on spiritual gifts, let me begin this morning by sort of giving a context, and let's talk about this one problem uh, that has to do with spiritual gifts in the church. Now, uh, to be sure, we don't know exactly what the problem was, and, and it's even dangerous to begin to guess at all of the possibilities of the problem. But from what Paul says, we know for sure two big things. These are so, so plain, so obvious, so massive that they'll help us to understand. We know two big things about what Paul says here, that whatever their understanding of spiritual gifts was and however they were exercising these spiritual gifts in their public worship service, it was resulting in division in the church and chaos in the worship, worship services. Division in the church and chaos in the worship services. So from what we gather, this division in the church was happening because some of the Christians there in Corinth considered themselves to be spiritual people. And they were seeking spiritual status in the church by pursuing and exercising what they considered to be the higher spiritual gifts. 
status-seeking through the spiritual gifts. And so what they were doing was kind of declaring how spiritual they were by exercising the more public and expressive gifts of the Spirit. At the core, this shows that they viewed the spiritual gifts as a mark of spiritual maturity or a mark of spiritual status in the church. The more mature you are, the higher and more prominent your gift would be. Paul will address this and tell them that is absolutely false. Well, this is congruent with the core problem that we've seen uh, during our entire study of of 1 Corinthians, has it not? I mean, from the very beginning, we have understood that the problem beneath every issue in Corinth is a false understanding of what it means to be spiritual. And Paul is writing to them this whole letter, explaining to them that true spirituality is defined by the cross of Jesus Christ, not by the cultural norms in Corinth. Spiritual gifts, however they were understood and however they were expressed, were causing division in the church. Let me show this to you. Look there in your Bibles. Chapter 12, verse 15. Some members were being made to feel inferior to others. Verse 15 in chapter 12, if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. So somehow, their understanding and exercise of the spiritual gifts were causing some people to feel inferior to others. Same coin, flip that over, look at verse 21. Others were feeling superior. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. Why is Paul giving these examples? Because there were Christians there who were acting like, I have no need of you. I'm superior. I'm sufficient. Or we, we have no need of your kind here. And those people were feeling like, well, because I don't have that gift, then I'm not as necessary I might not even be part of this body. Look at verse 25. The church was divided. Verse 25, he says all of this, that there may be no divisions in the body. And look at chapter 13, verse 1. If they were using their gifts and serving in such a way that was unloving, he says in chapter 13, one of the most famous verses, uh, uh, chapters in the Bible, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, then what? I'm like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, then what? I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. However they were exercising their gifts, it was done in an unloving way, and it was unprofitable for the church, for one another. And so look at how Paul ends this entire section, chapter 12, 13, and 14. Look at the end of verse, uh, chapter 14 and verse 37. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. And if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. 
exist. So we don't know exactly what the problem was concerning spiritual gifts in the church, but we know that it resulted in division in the church because there were those who thought they were spiritual and were causing others to feel inferior. Division, status-seeking arrogance in their spirituality. It was also causing chaos in the worship gatherings. Division in the church, chaos in the worship gatherings. Chapter 14 concerns those who speak when the church is gathered together for worship. Apparently, the church was not being built up, but that it was dissolving into chaos. Look at verse 26. What then, brothers? Chapter 14, 26. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Why is Paul emphasizing building up? Because they were tearing down. It was dissolving into chaos. Look at verse 9. Those who were exercising the gift of tongues were speaking unintelligibly. Verse 9. So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? for you will be speaking into the air. Look at verse 16. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? And and those who were speaking with what they considered to be the gift of tongues, they were all speaking at the same time. Look at verse 27. If any speaks in a tongue... Let there only be two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church. Chaos! People were speaking over each other in in unintelligible speech. Paul said, this is absolutely ludicrous. This does no one any good. Chaos, confusion. those who were exercising the gift of prophecy. Look in verse 29. They were speaking over top of one another. So imagine in here, if if people thought that they had this gift of prophecy and, and they were exercising it how they thought they should, especially if behind the scenes in their heart there was this desire for status to be thought of as a really spiritual person. And Daniel stands up and he begins to prophesy. And Jason says, oh yeah, well, I got a word from God too. So Jason stands up and begins to prophesy. And uh, and then Johnny over here says, I'm not going to be outdone. So in verse 29, look, let two or three prophets speak. All of you can prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And verse 29 Let the other prophets weigh what is said. Verse 32, why? Because the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Not only were they speaking over one another, but some of them were saying things that were not doctrinally sound. Chaos and confusion in the church. So Paul ends this whole section with a universal principle. Chapter 14, verse 33, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Look at verse 40. You want to read this with me out loud? Verse 40, chapter 14. But all things should be done decently and in order. Chapter 12 through 14 deals with one main problem, their understanding and exercise of spiritual gifts, and we don't know everything about it, but it resulted in division and chaos. So, in chapter 12 through 14, Paul has one main point 
to address this big problem. The exercise of spiritual gifts should never cause chaos and division because the same spirit that made us part of the church gives gifts to the church so that the church will function as one body, which means that the gifts must be exercised in love in order to build up the church. And in order to build up the church, the spiritual gifts must be regulated in the public gathering of the church. That's Paul's one main point. And as you can tell, that was specific. And you might have noticed that there were five parts of that one main point. They follow the five major parts of this text. Two from chapter 12, one from chapter 13, two from chapter 14. Five parts, one big point. If you're a note taker, and even if you're not, I encourage you to write these down in the note sheet that I provided for you today. Chapter 12, verse 1 through 11, part number one. Spiritual gifts are given to the church by the same spirit that made us all part of the church. Part number two, chapter 12, verse 12 through 31. Paul says spiritual gifts are given so that the church will function as one body. Why was Paul emphasizing that the church would function as one body? Because how they understood and exercised spiritual church was doing what? I mean, spiritual gifts was doing what? Dividing the church. Completely contrary. Spiritual gifts are so that the church will function as one unified body, just like your human body. That'll be next week. Chapter 13. Spiritual gifts are only profitable when exercised in love. And then with your pen, circle love, underline love, draw arrows, put smiley faces and hearts around love. Because it must be the heart behind every spiritual gift. And why does Paul emphasize this so much? Because the heart behind their exercise of spiritual gifts was what? Status-seeking pride. Part number four. Chapter 14, the beginning, verse 1 through 25. Spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of building up the church. Why is he emphasizing that? Because their exercise was dissolving into chaos and confusion. No one was being edified, built up. And then he ends with what I'll call the therefore, the so. Chapter 14, verse 26 through 40, therefore, because of everything I just said, here's Paul's last word on spiritual gifts here in 1 Corinthians. Spiritual gifts must be regulated in the public gathering of the church. This is not willy-nilly free-for-all. This is not some big exercise of mass quote-unquote spiritual experiences. Why? Because God is a God of decency and peace and order. So Paul gives them specific instructions on how to order and regulate the use of spiritual gifts in the worship service. Well, that's an overview. So we can understand each individual part when we understand the problem and the point and how they fit together. Big problem, they don't get it. And how they get it, how they think they get it, 
is resulting in division and chaos. So Paul's big point is in five parts that I had just given to you there. And he begins this morning, chapter 12, verse 1 through 11, with the first part. Spiritual gifts are given to the church by God's Spirit. By God's Spirit. So in this first part, Paul wants to begin his discussion of spiritual gifts by emphasizing that they are a work of the Spirit of God in his church. I just think about that for a minute. Would the Spirit of God work in his church to divide it or to bring chaos and confusion? No. So if it's dividing and bringing chaos and confusion, it's not spiritual. It's not a gift of the Holy Spirit. You're getting this all wrong from the beginning, Corinth. Uh, Corinth. Not Corinne, not you. So Paul highlights two works of the Spirit in the church. And I know there's lots of fives and twos and stuff like that. You've got to understand, I'm an analytical, very logical thinker, so I do this. And, and if you can follow, great. If you can't, I apologize. Paul, in this first section, 1 through 11, highlights two big works of the Spirit, and I was thrilled about these this week. In verse 1 through 3, it's the Spirit. Get this. It's the Spirit of God that does the first work by leading us to confess that Jesus is Lord. And then, verse 4 through 11, that same Spirit does a second work. He gives us His gift. And I don't mean a second work like often uh, some of our charismatic friends will call it a second blessing. It's just the first work of salvation that makes us part of the church and then as part of the church, he makes us a member, gifted member of the body so that we can function as part of the body. So second in order here in this text. Let's read verse 1 through 3, and we'll notice this first work. The Spirit leads us to confess that Jesus is Lord. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So before Paul addresses the problem specifically of spiritual gifts, he begins by talking to the church about what it means to be spiritual people. Are you a spiritual person? And Paul wants to talk about what it means to be a spiritual person because the Corinthians think they're spiritual people, but they're not. They don't understand what it means to be a spiritual person. Again, he ends this whole section in chapter 14, verse 37, by saying, those of you who think you're spiritual. So Paul explains... There's only two kinds of, of people in the whole world. Two kinds. Number one, verse two. Those who have been led astray to worship mute pagan idols. Idol worshipers. Verse two, uh, verse three. Second kind of person. Those who have been led 
to confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus worshipers. Only two kinds of people, friends. The whole of humanity is bifurcated into those two kinds of people. Not primarily male and female. But worshipers of false gods or those who confess and worship the one true and living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice at the end of verse 3, those who confess that Jesus is Lord only do so because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what it means to be a spiritual person. Spiritual people are those in whom the Holy Spirit has worked so that they confess. They believe with their heart and they confess with their mouth one thing. Jesus is Lord. How did you come to confess that Jesus is Lord? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, because the Holy Spirit of God led you to believe that in your heart and confess that with your mouth. Now, Paul is working on something that is very common to them, but very foreign to us. He's working on a cultural, pardon me, a common cultic, festival in ancient Corinth. One of the commentators, a historian, brought this out. I was really encouraged by it this week. He says, quote, one of the most public, elaborate, expensive, and exciting events in the liturgical year was a procession in, just imagine this, in ancient Corinth. You see, remember, ancient Corinth was full of temples. That's why we have that icon up there full of temples to all kinds of of Greek gods. One of the most elaborate cultic festivals of the year, every year, was a procession in which the participants were marched along sacred routes, and the end of the procession brought them standing before the sanctuary and the idol of that false god. They were led through the streets of Corinth to worship the pagan idols. Paul says, you remember, verse 2, when you were pagans, before you were Christians, when you were pagans, you were led, you were led astray to dumb, mute, idols. They can't even speak, however you are led. But I want you to understand something. Verse 3. The Holy Spirit of God has led you somewhere else. The reason you're part of the church, the reason you're a Christian today is because God, through His Spirit, led you on another path that stood you directly before the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you saw who Jesus was and what Jesus did for you and the whole of humanity, when you saw that, you said something. You said, Jesus is Lord. And to confess that Jesus is Lord is to say, Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Son of God sent to redeem sinners through His sacrificial death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. The Holy Spirit did that. And don't underestimate. Don't be uninformed about God's work in us through His Spirit. If you're a Christian here today, it's only because the Holy Spirit of God led you 
to Jesus, showed you Jesus, convicted you of your sin and need for a savior. And you confessed. You believed in your heart, Romans says, and confessed with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. Christians, can you just pause for a moment and say, thank you. Thank you. If you're not a Christian here, the Spirit may be leading you, even today. The Spirit might have you on that journey, passing by this false god over here, this status-seeking thing over here. Life's not about money. Life's not really ultimately about friends. It's not about looks. It's not about success. It's not about this. I'll show you what life is about. I'll show you the only God worth worshiping. It's Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit might be leading you there today. Friends, here's what the Bible says. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Instead, Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, are you ready? You will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness. With the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. I'm still reading the Bible here. Romans 10, 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. You know what that means on the other end? serve any other God, worship any other God, believe in any other way, you will be disappointed in the end. But whoever believes in Jesus will not be disappointed for whoever, whoever, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel. That's our hope in life and death. Here, that's our hope in life and death, in eternal life for the future. The Spirit leads us to confess that Jesus is Lord. Verse 1 through 3. Verse 4 through 11. Second work. The spirit that made us part of the church, the spirit that led us to Christ so that we could, could become Christians, the spirit gives gifts to his church. Verse 4 through 11. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith, by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing, by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To, to another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. 
the Spirit that made us a part of the church gives gifts to His church. So what are these spiritual gifts? Well, let's start with the Presbyterian. What are spiritual gifts, Mr. R.C. Sproul? Quote, spiritual gifts are those qualities and empowerments that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give to the people of God in order to make them effective in ministry. Great. All right, how about from the Baptists? Tom Schreiner, quote, What are spiritual gifts, Tom? Spiritual gifts are gifts of grace granted by the Holy Spirit, which are designed for the edification of the church. How about a little bit more charismatic, you know, kind of moving from Presbyterian over here to the Reformed Baptist. How about a little bit more charismatic Wayne Grudem? Wayne Grudem, quote, Spiritual gifts are any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry in the church. I like all those. How about Miracle Crusader, Benny Hinn? Miracle Crusader, Benny Hinn. Quote, spiritual gifts are our new abilities empowered by the Holy Spirit to enable you to do the Lord's work in new and powerful ways. And then I had to laugh because literally the next paragraph said this from Mr. Hinn. Thank you for praying and giving. Your prayers continue to open up supernatural doors of opportunity for the gospel. The seed you sow <laughs> helps proclaim the world, uh, the word to the world. And every time you sow a seed, as if I couldn't believe it, But in all of these things, we see that the gifts come from the Holy Spirit to enable ministry as part within and without of the church. And we're going to get to a fuller understanding of spiritual gifts as we progress through our five-week study. But for today, I want to focus just on verse 1 through 11. For this part, now 4 through 11. And I want to focus on what Paul, the apostle, says that he wants the Corinthians to understand about spiritual gifts. So what does Paul say he wants them to understand? Don't, don't be unaware of this, but I want you to understand this about spiritual gifts. And I'm just telling you that what Paul wants to emphasize is that it's the Spirit of God who gives his gifts to the church. And so he emphasizes five things, five works that the Spirit of God does by giving his gifts. Number one, the Spirit that led you to Christ is, keyword, the same Spirit that gives you his gifts. Can I say that again? The Spirit that led you to Christ, verse 1 through 3, is, quote, the same, capital, same Spirit that gives you His gifts, verse 4 through 11. At the beginning and at the end of this section, Paul, unembarrassed, emphasizes same, same, same. Look at verse 4. There's a variety of gifts, but what? Same Spirit. Varieties of service, but what? Same Lord. Varieties of activities, but same God who empowers them all in everyone. Then he ends it with verse 11. All these, all the things that he just talked about, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Paul wants us to know. Spiritual gifts come from the same Spirit that led you to Christ. 
The same Spirit of God who led us to confess that Jesus is Lord and work to make us part of the church is one and the same, one and the same spirit who gives and empowers his gift. He is the divine source. And as such, he alone, what? Receives the glory. It came from him. They're his gifts. That means I cannot claim any credit for them. Those who were seeking status Those who thought, well, I earned this because of my spiritual maturity. I have reached a higher level of spirituality, and now the Holy Spirit has given me this gift. He said, you're crazy. Just like the Spirit graciously led you to Christ, He graciously has gifted you to be part of His church. Look there again in verse Four and five. The Spirit empowers various gifts appropriately because Jesus said that the Spirit Himself is a gift. Do you see the Trinity at work here? Verse four, Spirit. Verse five, Lord. And then verse six, God. That's the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. So the Spirit empowers various gifts because he is himself a gift. The Lord, the Son, empowers various services. By the way, that's the same word for the word deacon. Appropriately, because it's the the Son who accomplishes our redemption through his what? Sacrificial service on the cross. And then God the Father empowers Various activities, which are actions or works that are being accomplished because he is the sovereign father who is at work on earth in and through his church. Paul's point number one here is that the spirit that led you to Christ is the same spirit that gives you gifts. Point number two. The spirit gives his gifts in a variety of forms. Do you see that in verse 4, 5, and 6? Same spirit, but what? Variety of gifts. Variety of services. Variety of activities. The the repetition is really important. Variety, variety, variety. Those three words, gifts, services, and activities, they're all talking about different ways of describing what God gives to his church and how God works in and through his church. And they all come in a variety of ways. You know why? Because God loves variety. Man, just look at creation. We can see variety. Just look at humanity. We can see variety. Look at the church all across time, all across the world, beautiful variety. And so God gives gifts to his church that are as varied as the work that he wants to accomplish in his church and through his church. Some humble gifts, private, behind the scenes, everyday, ordinary acts of service, some more impressive, public expressions of service. Some may seem less spectacular than others, but they are no less manifestations of the Spirit's work. All of life in the church has its source in the Spirit of God. And that comes in a variety of ways. So he gives examples. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through what each one of these are. You know why? Because Paul didn't go through a lot of time to spend on what each one of these is. That's not the point. What is his point? Variety of gifts, same spirit. He talks in verse 8 about the utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge. It could be the same as the gift of teaching that's listed elsewhere. Elders certainly must be able to teach wisdom and knowledge, but not all teachers are elders. 
So this wisdom and knowledge comes from God, either in the Old Testament or through the teachings of Jesus and the inspired writings of the apostles in the New Testament. He he talks there in verse 9 about the gift of faith. What does that mean? I thought we were all supposed to have faith. Yes, absolutely. In chapter 13, verse 2, maybe we're given a little bit of of an insight on that because it talks about faith that can move mountains. So somehow there is a gift of extraordinary faith. I don't know. Verse 9, healing. Well, we certainly saw that all through the book of Acts, did we not? When the apostles, men empowered by the Spirit, were able to heal physical diseases. And then verse 10 talks about the gift of miracles. Again, just like in Acts, miracles over spiritual forces or natural forces. We certainly saw Jesus doing those kinds of things. And the disciples and the apostles had that kind of power over demonic forces throughout the book of Acts. Chapter 10, I mean, verse 10 again, the gift of prophecy. Now we know that Old Testament prophets received and communicated God's word to God's people. In the early church, we also know that the Spirit was inspiring the disciples, the apostles, to write Scripture. And during our next four weeks, we're going to explore whether there were other divine revelations, divine prophecies that were given to more ordinary Christians. But the Spirit says there were all kinds of gifts here. It seems like the the next one in verse 10 is sort of like the companion to the gift of prophecy. Can you see what I mean there? Because the companion is here one gets prophecy, but then there's another who can discern between the spirits. Someone who's particularly equipped to discern whether that's true or false doctrine. Uh, Like it says in 1 John, to be able to test the spirits to see if they're from God. And then there in verse 10, various kinds of tongues, whatever it was, tongues is a miraculous gift given by the spirit. It's not learned. It's not practiced. It's not conjured up. It was unknown to the speaker, but it was known either to someone in the room because of their native tongue, or it was made known through the companion gift The next one on the list, the gift of interpretation, which was absolutely necessary in Paul's mind if you were going to speak in tongues in the public worship service. Why? Because otherwise it would be unintelligible speech and no one would have a clue what was going on and it would dissolve into chaos. Now, this is not the only list that we have. And I don't think that this is an exhaustive list to you. It just seems like he's giving examples. The overarching word here is variety of gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's two more at the end of the chapter. Look there in chapter 12, verse 28. God adds, I mean, uh, yeah, God, but Paul adds to that list, helping and administration. Those two come up in Romans 12, where the gifts are mentioned. In Romans 12, it also talks about the the gift of exhortation and contribution and acts of mercy. So we see that, that it's not like any one list is the exhaustive list, but there's a variety of gifts given for the variety of needs that God wants to accomplish in the church. Uh, take, take a look here just, just for a moment at... First uh, Peter chapter four, just for a moment. First Peter chapter four, verse 10 and 11. Theologians often divide all of the gifts, however many there are, into two categories because of First Peter 4, 10 and 11, two big categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. First Peter 4:10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's, there's the word again, varied grace. First, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Two, whoever serves 
as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that everything, pardon me, in order that in everything, in all our speaking, in all our serving, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. And all the church said, Amen. The Spirit gives His church as much variety as there are needs in the church. The Spirit provides everything the church needs. Same Spirit, variety of gifts. Number three, the Spirit gives His gifts to each. Each. According to His will. Each. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Look at verse 8. For to one is given, and then what? To another. Look at verse 11. All these are empowered by one in the same Spirit who apportions. What are the next three words? Four words to each one individually as he wills. Paul's point here is that not only is it the same Spirit in a variety of gifts, but the Spirit gives His gifts to each Christian according to His will. We take from this that each and every Christian who's made part of the Church of Christ is given a gift so that they can speak or serve and work as part of the body that is the church. Each one receives this grace of God. In other words, gifts are not given only to certain special people. And they're distributed according to his will. Look again at the end of verse 11. As he wills. Because gifts are not a measure of spiritual maturity and not an indication of higher or lower spiritual status. It's an indication that God wants one person to be a prophet and another person to be a helper. Number four. And I know I have to hurry. Number four. The Spirit gives His gifts, keyword. All I'm doing is pulling out big words here. You can see them in the text. His gifts as a manifestation of himself in the church and through the church. Huh. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Look at verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Friends, when Paul says that the gifts are, quote, the manifestation of the Spirit, he's making it clear that the spiritual gifts are not merely human abilities, but the divine work of the Spirit in and through each Christian in the church. Look, they may be natural abilities that are empowered by the Spirit. They might be supernatural abilities empowered by the Spirit, but they are all manifestations of God's Spirit. Think about that word. What does the word manifested mean? Manifest means to reveal, to appear, to demonstrate. To say that a spiritual gift is a manifestation of the Spirit is to say that that gift is a revelation or an appearance of the, of the Spirit in His church. Just wrap your brain around that for a minute. Just like when we look at creation, we see a manifestation of God. 
Just like when we read God's word, we see a very specific revelation of God. In that same way, God makes himself known through the beautiful diversity and gracious ministry of redemptive humanity in his church. Listen, for those who are part of the church, it's humbling to think that when we put our spiritual gifts to work as part of God's church, whether by speaking or serving, publicly or privately, we are part of how God manifests himself to those in the church and those outside of the church. The Spirit is appearing through us. He's showing himself. That's humbling. For those who are not yet part of the church, one of the ways that you can understand who God is and how God works is by looking at the manifestation of God's Spirit in His church. When you encounter the church of God, you can see the work of God. The Spirit gives His church as a manifestation of Himself. Finally, the Spirit gives His gifts for, last two words, common good of the church. For the common good of the church. Do you see that in verse 7? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's the purpose of the spiritual gifts. For the good of everyone in the church. And this is going to be Paul's major emphasis from verse 12 all the way through the end of chapter 14. And so we're going to explore how the gifts are to operate for the common good of the church. But, but just for today, let me end by bringing this back around to beginning. The Spirit gives gifts to individuals so that each individual may speak or serve in such a way that benefits the whole body. Spiritual gifts are always given for the good of the whole church. And by contrast, what Paul is saying with that positive statement is that the Spirit does not give gifts to individuals that would cause division in the church so that some will feel superior and some will feel inferior. It's for the common good. And, and, and also in contrast, Paul is saying that the Spirit does not give gifts that would cause chaos and confusion. This is for the common good of the whole church to build the church up. So friends, friends, don't be uninformed about what it means to be a spiritual person or to have spiritual gifts. Spiritual people are not those who are particularly in tune with their inner self. Spiritual people, according to the Bible, are those people in whom the Holy Spirit has led to confess that Jesus is Lord. Spiritual people are those same people in whom that same Spirit has gifted to be part of the church. Spiritual gifts are not a badge of any kind of spiritual maturity. They're a mark of grace. They're given to every Christian as a grace given by God's favor, not as we achieve some kind of spiritual status in the church. Friends, the same Spirit 
that led you to be part of the church is the same spirit that has given you what? A variety, a gift in a variety of forms to every member of the church as a manifestation of himself for the common good of the church. So at a bare minimum, let's just walk away from this worship service today praising God for his work in us through his spirit. Aren't you glad that God is at work through his spirit? Let's pray together. God, we are humbled that you would pay attention to us. You didn't just pay attention. You you demonstrated your love by sacrificing your son to redeem us from our worship of every idol under the sun. We make a God out of everything. But by your spirit, by your grace, you have led us to see that Jesus is who he says he is and has done what he has said that he would do in redeeming humanity through his cross. I pray for every Christian that you would cause us to be so grateful for your spirit's work in us. And God, if there is anyone who's not yet confessed that Jesus is Lord, I pray that you would change their heart, lead them to Christ, please. For their sake, for the glory of Christ, and for our joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.